All right, guys, Father's Day coming right up around the corner this weekend, and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year. Get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The Lawnmower 4.0. You can get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code RCST at manscaped.com. Manscaped offers a wide variety of amazing products like cologne, crop mop ball wipes, crop reviver ball toner, and crop preserver ball deodorant. For all the females listening, you'll appreciate this part. Manscaped products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, dye-free, and vegan. So get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the code RCST at manscaped.com. Gift your dad a gift you know he's going to use. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code RCST. Don't forget that you came from your dad's balls. This year, show your original home some love with Manscaped. All right, we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F*** that. We don't got time that. All right, let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Continued this weekend. And when I say immediately, I mean the, the immediacy of I'll, I'll end my statement and then all of us like it's instantaneously been proven wrong. And it just gets it happens so emphatically as well. I said last week that sports teams are too good. There are just some teams that are too good and it's not good. It's not fun. The Brooklyn Nets being one of them. They had lost to the Bucks the night before, narrowly, the worst they'd ever looked. And it still felt like if that's the worst they ever looked, then they're going to win every other game. Well, they lost again. (laughs) They lost again, this time by a larger margin. Kyrie Irving, their star point guard, went out with an injury. Don't know what his timetable is. The Bucs have even that series up two games apiece with Brooklyn. So, okay, 0 for 1 there. I said there's nobody else. There's nobody else who can beat them. There are some other teams that look good, but come on. The Nets are just too good. Well, Phoenix finished their sweep of Denver last night, and they look like as complete a team as you could possibly imagine. Chris Paul has somehow found the fountain of youth. The the display that he put on in the third quarter, specifically, of coming down every single possession and knocking down a mid-range jumper after shaking somebody with his still immaculate dribble moves, that was one of the most enjoyable just quarters of basketball I think I've ever watched. The Suns couldn't miss. It was incredible offense. They finished the sweep. They're going to the conference finals. Who knows who they'll play? They'll play the winner of Utah and Los Angeles. Whoever does end up meeting them there, the Suns are going to be the favorite. And it's weird that the Suns can be the favorite. They were the two seed, so it's not like it should be that much of a surprise that they're looking this impressive. Yet, regardless of who they play, not only in the Western Conference Finals, but if they make it to the NBA Finals. Is there anything that you think, and not just basketball, and not just the NBA, is there anything 
that sports fans would more universally get behind than the Phoenix Suns winning the NBA title this year. And you can go back. You can go and you can draw from things that have already happened and say, well, fans were rooting for this. Is there anything that comes close to saying everybody was rooting for that? Because everyone will be rooting for the Suns because there's nothing not to like. You've got the old veteran point guard with a young, fun team. Everything is meshing perfectly. They're incredibly fun to watch. They're firing on all cylinders. There's no superstar. There's no, hey, we're all going to team up and join this super team. It just feels very organic and natural and fun to watch. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely different. You know, you built it through the draft, and then you set yourself up that you could make that one that big one, splash. That one splash, different the perfect than fit. just setting it up so that, oh, we have nobody on cap in 2023, so we can sign five superstars. Or, or let's just get this star. I don't know how he's going to fit, right. but it's a big name, so we'll make it work. Mm-hmm. So that's that's very pleasing. But also, like, obviously the offense of Devin Booker and Chris Paul is awesome to watch, but, like, that team is actually, like, really good defensively. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's something else cool about it. Like, DeAndre Ayton, you go from being a guy who immediate thoughts of the rookie class was like, how did you take this guy over Luka Doncic? And, I mean, still, yes, Luka Doncic is better than DeAndre Ayton. But, like, you get that thought. You get the Trey Young. Oh, they could have had Trey Young, too. And it's like, no, this guy is, like, very, very good. Like, very good defensively. He held his own with Nikola Jokic all series. And if it's working, I've heard people say the other thing is, Mm -hmm. can you imagine, though, can you imagine Luka Doncic (laughs) with Devin Booker? Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, and that would be interesting, but you're completely ignoring the fact that this is working as well as it can possibly work. (laughs) Yeah. So, I I don't know. I I think you're kind of to a point where if Utah beats the Clippers... And the Nets lost to the Bucks. You basically are guaranteed that you don't have a super team winning at all, right? Yeah. Which two days ago did not seem conceivable, no. but now it, it very much does. I still, the Clippers, I guess, as you got two superstars who like teamed up together. But what is it about like being on the Clippers? Because like all these guys go on the Clippers, like Kawhi Leonard. It's like we love you in Toronto. Go to the Clippers. It's like oh you suck. Paul George. It's like. Love you in Indiana. I don't know about you in the Clippers. It's like same with Chris Paul, opposite way around. When he was on the Clippers, he's like, oh my gosh, this guy just complains about every foul call and he can't get him to the conference finals. And now he's with Phoenix. Everybody's like, I love Chris I got, Paul. I got, I got one word for you uh-huh. expectations. When Chris Paul was in LA, when they traded for Chris Paul, you already have Blake Griffin. All of a sudden, boom, you're the exciting team. Time to win. When he was with Houston, you already had James Harden, couldn't get over the hump, kept trying to find different guys to pair him with. Now it's Chris Paul's turn. Let's see if that works. Didn't work. Okay. Goes to Oklahoma City. There were no expectations there. It was a nice year. It was fun. Okay, Chris Paul with this young team is kind of cool. Then he signs with Phoenix, and Phoenix was still a team that went 8-0 in the bubble last year, so people kind of wondered, okay, maybe this is a team on the rise, but the idea that you were expecting them to go to the conference finals or compete for a title. That was out of the question. You mentioned Kawhi Leonard. Everybody loved him in San Antonio. He was the fourth piece. He was the young kid. Didn't say anything. Showed up in the postseason. Boom. Why wouldn't you like him? He wanted out of San Antonio. You trade him to Toronto. Much like Chris Paul going to Phoenix, fit a role. They didn't need a bunch of different guys. They already had this established winning culture. You already had a team leader in Kyle Lowry who kind of commanded the locker room. Kawhi Leonard just did his job again. Be the dude in the postseason. He did. Won him a title. But now, I'm going to go do my own thing. 
You traded for me. Cool. You got your title. I gave you a championship. Now I'm going to go do my own thing. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to L.A. not to join up with LeBron and Anthony Davis where I can just fill a role. I'm going to go be the guy with the Clippers, but I need you to get my buddy Paul George on the team too. When, when superstars go out of their way to flex their muscles and utilize their power and go get other players— as a fan, there's part of me that says, okay, good for you. Like, you've got power. You are wielding your power. But when you make the call, when you're making the decisions and pulling all the strings behind the scenes as to who else is going to be on the team, and this is what we're going to do, then it comes with, well, it better work. Because this was your decision. You assembled this. So if it doesn't work, don't blame management because they didn't get enough talent around you. Don't blame the other superstar because he's not fitting in. No, you chose him. You handpicked this. Same thing with Kevin Durant and everybody in Brooklyn. Hey, if it doesn't work, well, at this point there's injuries, so you probably give them a bit of a pass. But when it didn't work for LeBron in Miami or when it didn't work for LeBron the first couple of years in Cleveland, it's like, hey, this is what you chose. Like, this is the team, the superstar team that you assembled. With Phoenix, it's not like that. You build a team through the draft, as fans, we love it. We loved the Oklahoma City Thunder when they had Westbrook and Durant and Harden. Why? Because they didn't have to go out and and pay anybody or make any big-time trades. They just drafted well. That's what the Suns have done. And that you drafted so well that you went out and signed a, a, a star point guard. But let's not act like they went out and signed Russell Westbrook. Right? They signed an aging mid-30s guy who we kind of all thought his best basketball was probably behind him. In best-case scenario, he can be the sort of leader in the locker room to show this young team what it takes to be a winning organization. Well, Paul's given them that and then some. He's given them the leadership, and he looks like one of the greatest point guards to ever play. I mean, the clinic he put on in that series was, I mean, unbelievable, especially after that first series we kind of wondered, is this guy, is he going to be able to Yeah, he thought the injury was going to be too much. I'll tell you what, I— I think a lot of people would really enjoy a Sun 76ers finals. I mean, you have Joel Embiid. That'd be um, a lot of fun. Yeah, it would. That'd be a lot of fun. Sixers are weird. They're like in this limbo. It's like, no, you didn't You didn't really go out and make any huge trades. Well, you did. They didn't work out. Like, you went and got Jimmy Butler, and then now he's gone. Um, I mean, Mikel Bridges could, should be on the Sixers, yeah. but they traded him for, what, Zaire Smith? <laughs> That didn't work out. Is he even like on the roster? I don't think so. Gosh. What a perfect fit he would have been for the Sixers I mean, honestly, who just needed shooters. Like, seriously, <laughs> he is a shooter, and as I've mentioned before, when a lineup with, I know Danny Green's injured now, but like a lineup with Danny Green, uh, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, uh, the wing, Matisse Thibault, and uh, Mikael Bridges, those are like five of the top 15 defenders yeah. in the NBA if they would have had that. I would love, I mean, I would love to see the Sixers. I mean, they still got to take care of business against the Hawks, but if Kyrie Irving doesn't come back, it opens the door a little bit, but it sounds like Harden's going to come back, maybe even in this series if it goes long enough, which I guess, I mean, at that point, it will. It's going to go at least two more games. So we could see Harden by the end of this series. So even if Kyrie is done, if you throw James Harden back into the mix, aren't we back to square one, which it's they're without one of their best players, but it probably won't matter, Right. I don't know, because now you're starting to toy with the chemistry thing. You know, it doesn't matter as much as the chemistry. If you have just three guys who can score it at, at will on the court, but now you have two. 
The chemistry matters a little bit more. Yeah, but I mean, Harden, for all the detractors and all the negativity you want to say about him, he's still one of the top two or three passers in the league. He's awesome. But I, like, the Bucs are very good. The 76ers are very good. The Suns are very good. Like, you go down the list. The Jazz are very good. I think if Kyrie's out, if they're only down to two of those guys, I don't actually think they're going to win the title. I actually saw today they are down to being underdogs in the series, betting-wise. Really? Yeah. It's very close to even. I imagine if they would have lost and Kyrie were healthy, they wouldn't be the underdog. But injuries matter. I mean, that seemed like it could be a a playoffs-shifting injury if, if Kyrie's down for... A significant period of time, but there you go. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to make any more bold proclamations. I'm not going to say that the Suns no, are something. going to the title because I want the Suns to go to the title, and I have the kiss of death now. No, pick something so that I can bet on the opposite, and I will be a fruitful man. Okay, uh, we're getting we're going to get a, a Jazz Hawks final. <laughs> you know, you did that on purpose. Yeah, I don't believe it. Nor so now we are going to get a Jazz Hawks <laughs> final. Exactly. You, know you did exactly. <laughs> that would be kind of fun. Donovan Mitchell, Trey Young. Yeah. We'd find a storyline to talk about. All right, it's about 17 past the hour with Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rack Chuck Sports Talk. Get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's, you know, washing all the germs out, you want to get, obviously, the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. The Royals continue to be embarrassingly bad, losing three of four against the A's. That makes it eight losses in their last nine games. The good thing, though, is that there's another game tonight. And yet another opportunity to prove that, you know, what happened in Oakland, that's not who you are. That's not going to define you as a person, as a team. I know what the issue is. Has anybody asked George Brett what's going on lately? Yes. Remember? I know, but like more recently. That was like a month ago. How often do we need to ask Weekly George, stops Brett? With George Brett? What did he say that they were swinging too hard? Yeah, like He's got that. a few that he just kind of recycles. Swinging too hard, doing too much, <laughs> thinking too much. Yeah. Stop thinking, just start playing. Just play your game. Be yourself. Whenever... I, I think a kitten dies whenever somebody asks George Brett for that and they publish it in a newspaper or a radio show. They're like, well, here's what George Brett had to say coming up next. Or like, here's what George Brett had the headline. Here's what George Brett thinks the Royals need to do to get off their losing streak. They just need to, to be themselves. I love George Brett, but like, stop, leave him alone, you know? Stop relying upon this man, this poor man, to fix all He's out at a golf tournament. He's on the putting greens. And was like, Brett, Brett, champ, champ. What do you think the Royal, the boys in blue should do to get back to their winning ways? We'll talk to David Lesky. You can subscribe to his sub stack, Inside the Crown. It's fantastic. 
It's in your email inbox every morning with great Royals content. You can also check out his work at Royals Review. You can hear him here on Mondays, so he will join us coming up here in about 15 minutes. Cam Martin, one of the newest additions to KU. He committed to KU from Missouri Southern, where he played for Jeff Boshi. And he was one of the earlier commitments. It happened at uh, the end of March, so just shortly after KU's season ended. I think Cam Martin is a guy who competes for backup big minutes. But I've, I've considered something in a, in a couple different ways because when you say when you say backup big, I mean backup five, like playing behind David McCormick. He's six foot nine, two hundred and forty pounds. That wouldn't lend itself to playing a ton on the perimeter, at least defensively. But we do know this guy is a shooter, right? When you look at his numbers, forty four percent from three last year. And he took 110 of them. Like So the volume's there as well to where this isn't just a guy who's taking one or two a game. Like No, he's, he's popping out for three or four a game, and he's hitting a, a high percentage of them. You would imagine he's going to continue to be able to play on the perimeter. He was at Brett Ballard's Washburn basketball camp last week, talked to some reporters, and gave this quote. I thought it was very interesting what he said to Gary Bedore of the Kansas City Star. Quote, talking about Bill Self. He told me he likes my ability to pick and pop and space the floor and my ability shooting the ball. He says, if you're open, shoot the ball. I mean, I'm a shooter. That's just how it's going to be. <laughs> That's just how it's going to be. You like it or you don't, Bill. Get on train or get out of my way. If it's a good shot, it's a good shot for the team. And I feel like if I'm open, I'm going to be taking that shot, a high percentage shot. I don't think Bill Self would get a guy who shoots 45% from three and say, you're not taking any threes, right? You're going to play into your player's strengths. But it also is interesting just in terms of how you're going to fit. First question is, would you say right now you would put Cam Martin as as the, the leading candidate to get back up five minutes? Yes, absolutely. The only other candidates are Mitch Lightfoot, and if you think Zach Clements... Yeah. is going to be ready to play I mean, five. would you entertain the idea of, oh, Jalen Wilson played some five last year? Some, yeah, some. <laughs> I wouldn't really entertain it because I think that was out of, oh, we don't have the depth that we're going to have this next year. This year it's going to be about putting, getting as many of your best players on the floor as possible. Zach Clements is 6'9", 210. He ain't playing the five. And people will clamor for it. By the way, just go ahead and write that down. Mark it for later. There will be a point in the season where that's like a prevailing storyline for a week or two. Some One of the beat writers is going to bring it up. I love all the beat writers, but like one of them is going to bring it up, and then the fans are going to cling on to it. It's like, here's why Bill, Bill Self should consider playing Zach Clements at the five. Because they'll see it for like six minutes in one game, and it'll look really good, and people will be like, that's the future. Right? Big guys who can shoot. Maybe it is, but he's also 210 pounds and he's a freshman, and I just don't see it happening. I wonder this, though. I wonder this. And you can go through this scenario with Jalen Wilson being back on the team next year or Jalen Wilson keeping his name in the draft. Do you think we'll see much of Cam Martin at the four next to David McCormick? No, I don't. Unless unless Bill Self is going to say in those minutes I'm going to play zone, which we know Bill Self does not like to play zone, it does happen. So 
you know, it could. Um, but no, you mentioned. The, Remember, the- just two years ago, Derek, just two years ago, we saw. I mean, what would have been the lineup all season was Deidre Glosson at the four and Yudoka Azubuki at the five. Now, Yudoka was an elite rim protector, so maybe you could get away with a little bit more. But as we saw through the course of the year, Diedrich was not a good defender. And they were comfortable playing him at the four. Now, he was an elite offensive player, so maybe there's a trade-off you make. But, I mean, it's not as if it's unprecedented to put a bad defender at the four. But I remember, like, Bill Self making comments during the early part of that season when Yudoka was healthy, just being like, you know, we're just trying to make our best five work. Because those were the best five players. For all we know, like, if the season would have went on, they might have made some changes. I don't know. I just... I have trouble seeing because it's not like like that's the other thing with Yudoka. He wasn't just a good rim protector; he was good on the perimeter for a big man, right? As a senior, yes. Um, but that's the thing with both Dave and Cam Martin. Neither of them are good on the perimeter, so I think you would get absolutely torched in ball screens and in dribble handoffs and stuff by opposing guards. I think that becomes very, very difficult to play both at the same time, unless you're playing zone. Cam Martin, this came up in his conversation with Bedore, and, and he said, quote, it depends who's guarding me. I can play a four and play a five. I'm pretty versatile depending on what lineup we're going to go with. Okay, so I'll say this. Like, if you're playing if you're playing what Texas had last year, where Texas had Jericho Sims down low and one of, like, Greg Brown or Kai Jones as, like, the four, you can get away with it there. But how many teams play that way nowadays? Not many. Not many. Um... And we know that if you get abused defensively on a possession or two, like Bill Self's going to call a timeout and make a change. He's not just going to sit there and trade buckets. You know what's interesting, too, about Cam Martin with the three-point shooting thing? Do you know what the most three-point attempts per game of a Bill Self big man is in a season? Um, I mean, if I count Jalen Wilson, he'd be the winner at 4.1, but Mar- I don't want Markeith Morris? Uh, no, Markeith averaged 1.6. Oh, okay, wow. Um, but he's sixth on the list. I won't even count. I mean, fourth is Alex Galindo. I don't know why he's popping up there. Okay. Um, sorted by forwards and centers. By three-point attempts per game. Yeah. By a big guy. How many did Marcus take a game? Uh, two. He was third. Okay, we're getting close. First was Jalen at 4.1, but again, if we don't want to count So that, I just, I'm just i missing one guy. Yeah. All right. Um, We've already named him in the course of this conversation. Diedrich? Yeah. Diedrich at two and a half per game. That is the high water mark for a guy in terms of three point attempts per game, and he played thirty minutes. Yeah, but he also took fifteen shots a game or whatever it was. I know. I'm saying like, how many threes is Cam Martin really going to get? Uh, okay, that team sucked though. That team stunk, and they didn't have any shooters. So I mean, yeah, Dijek was like the best. He was probably in the top three in three point percentage too. So it's different. And you're right though. Your point is right. He's not taking four a game. Right. But. If he's out there, I can see a lot of pick-and-pop situations. Think about that, too. Dietrich's one of the few, but like if I told you to name all the big guys that you could run pick-and-pop situations for under Bill Self, it's a, it's a smaller list than you may think, man. A lot of the bigs, when you're talking about five men that Bill Self has put out there, they're bigs, they're traditionals, they're doke, they're Embiid. They're Cole Aldridge. They're Jeff Withy. Those aren't guys you're running pick and pop for. The ones that, that are higher on that list, Diedrich Lawson, Markeith Morris. You could do a little bit more of that stuff. Cam Martin gives you versatility, and it's not to say he's going to take three or four a game because I don't think he will. But 
if you take, I just want to look at last year's team, which didn't shoot an exceptionally high wow. number of threes. I just, okay. If Dave, I, I, I want to look at the I numbers. Know. I'm just so, saying, I'm just going into this. If Dave plays 25 minutes a game at center and he plays 15 minutes, the other 15 minutes at center. I could see him playing five minutes at the four. Okay. So he plays 20 minutes in a game. 15 to 20. That's probably my, yeah. my that, projection. All those numbers I just said, Dedrick Lawson, Marcus Morris, those are guys who played 30 minutes a game. So now you already have the minutes restriction on there as well. Last year, Marcus Morris was fourth on the t- or Marcus Garrett was fourth on the team with 2.3 three-point attempts per game. And that was in 35 minutes a game, right? Yeah. So I think that's what you look at. Cam Martin's going to give you between two and three threes a game. Which that sounds Probably very to small. Probably closer not? to two. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't expect him to be one of the leading scorers on the team. I guess my point where I'm going with this, if Cam Martin's best skill is being diminished by the amount he's taking, then how much are you really going to suffer getting away with with him and Dave on the court defensively at the same time? Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't think that they're going to play together a lot. I think they can play together. So I'll tell you this. I think it's more likely to see them play together than it is to see KU go five guard looks than to see Jalen Wilson or Zach Clements on the court together. If you're giving me the option between the two as to what is most likely to happen, it is most likely that we'll see two bigs more often than we'll see five guards on the court or whatever, four guards with Jalen Wilson at the five. That's not going to happen. We think it's going to happen every single year and it never does. So instead of predicting it, we should just wait for it to actually happen and then go, oh, I guess it happened. So now we can move forward with that being a part of the repertoire. You also got to wonder, too, if you're going to play him at the four, then all of a sudden you're competing with other guys. You put Cam Martin at the four, well, now you're competing with Zach Clements for minutes. Now you're competing with Jalen Wilson, maybe K.J. Adams. I don't think KJ Adams is going to play a ton this year, but if he is going to play, it's going to be at the four. Yeah. So Wait. that's the other dilemma: is are you better? Is it? Is there ever going to be a situation where putting Cam at the four is is a better alternative than putting any of those guys there? Well, a guy that we always talk about every time we have rotation talks, Christian Brown. You could argue that they're competing for minutes. They both do similar things, right? They're very different with how they go about it. They're very different archetypes, body types. Wait a minute. Christian Brown and Cam Martin. Yes. In terms of one is a six foot nine, two hundred and forty pound okay. big man, the other is a wing. Mm-hmm. Right? But if KU plays two guards with Martin and Yesifu or whoever else, and you have Ochai potentially back at the three or Jalen Coleman lands, and then you have your five is David McCormick, that basically means your fourth guy, you know, we've seen Christian Brown be a rebounder. Do you go with the small lineup where Christian Brown's the four? Do you go with Cam Martin the big lineup at the four? They could be competing with I each want other. you to mark that down too. I want you to bring that up periodically over the offseason and whenever we talk about our favorite position battles, that's the one I want you to go to. Christian Brown, Cam Martin? Christian Brown, Cam Martin, because you're going to be the only person who's going to bring it up. Nobody else, I promise you. Not Jesse Newell, not Matt Tate, not Scott Chazen. None of those guys are going to bring up the idea that the most interesting position battle to watch is the one raging on between Cam Martin and Christian Brown. But think about it. If both are coming off the bench, both are hitting threes, now who just provides more for you elsewhere? I don't know. That's your conclusion? Yeah. I don't know. will figure it out. It's probably a good point, actually. All right, we're going to switch gears, talk some Royals baseball. David Lesky joins the show coming up next. So if you're following the timeline, 
Let's start with Garrett Cole. I know it happened before that, but let's just start when this kind of hit the mainstream. Garrett Cole, Yankees pitcher, gets asked about spider attack, gives the worst answer ever, doesn't want to sell himself or his teammates under the bus. Everybody crushes him for it. Major League Baseball comes out and says, you know what? We're going to look into this. So you've been warned. Since then, spin rates across baseball are down fairly dramatically. So if Major League Baseball was trying to send a message, it seems like it's been sent, but they're still going to have to do something to deter it from coming back, right? Because if there are no consequences in the end, then pitchers will wait for this to die down, and I would assume sort of go back to doing the thing that made them more successful. David Lesky of Royals Review, Inside the Crown Substack, joins us now on the show. If you were to to look at all of the, the issues, the offensive issues that are sort of plaguing baseball right now, where does the doctoring of the ball and the increased spin rates from pitchers rank amongst those issues, David? Uh, pretty high. <laughs> I mean, it's, they are pitchers are so good, and and part of what makes them so good is that they can move the ball in ways that we have never seen before. And you know, a lot of that, some of that, not a lot of it, not at least at least some of it is the video work they can do, the ability that they can, um, you know, go watch these high definition cameras frame by frame to be able to see how to manipulate the ball in a different way. But I think at least another big chunk of it is their ability to keep their fingers on the ball longer with this, with this substance. I, mean, you, I don't know if you've seen Pedro Martinez. Have you seen him talking about his fingers before his double jointed? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and so the reason he, the reason that makes sense is because he's able, I'm, I'm literally doing it with my hands right now is if anybody can see me. Um, <laughs> It's that um, he can keep his fingers on the ball longer so that he can make it move in different ways because he's naturally gifted in, the, in that his fingers are weird. Um, but a lot of pitchers have said, we're going to put the sticky stuff on there and make it easier to keep our fingers on there longer without having to be double-jointed. And, and it's helped, helped quite a bit. And, and part of the reason, I, I don't know how big of a reason, but at least a good chunk of the reason that hitters are having so much trouble is because pitchers can manipulate the ball so well that it's just nearly impossible to get a hit. So if the sticky stuff is half of that, and I, I don't know, I mean, that's probably a conservative guess, but if it's half of that, then yeah, it's gonna, it, it'll make a huge difference. And I, I put it on Inside the Crown this, uh, this morning that um, you can see the numbers. In the last three weeks, they have gone up dramatically mm-hmm. in, in batting average, the biggest thing, but everything else too. So yeah, I, I think we could see, strangely enough, a, a very different game moving forward than we saw for the first two-ish months of the season. What is Beige, what is Major League Baseball's obligation from here? Because I, I honestly, when when the Garrett Cole press conference happened and and that obviously made a lot of headlines, I almost felt bad for the guy in that yeah. this isn't the dude who needs to be answering these questions, right? Right. And and what did you want him to do? Like if. He's the one of the faces of, of Major League Baseball, certainly one of the top pitchers in baseball, the highest paid pitcher. Like, if he goes out there and just says, "Oh yeah, we're I'm using it, we're all using it," then all of a sudden, like he is this this like black sheep in baseball. So it feels like Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, need to do something here, but I'm not sure exactly what it is. Well, they need to crack down on it, and and they and I think what they've done. They basically said, hey, here's a warning. We're going to start cracking down on this soon, and you better clean up your game a little bit. I think what's going to happen is they're going to 
be very passive about it. I don't think we're actually going to see anything. And I think, like you said, it'll probably start to slowly ramp back up when they realize when pitchers realize that nothing's going to happen. So, you know, it's it's disappointing. But I think Major League Baseball, if they actually want to rid the sport of this. They probably have to crack down. I mean, Garrett Cole or whoever they find, Trevor Bauer, you know, whatever it might be, and he had a big reduction in spin rate the other day. Um, whoever it is, you probably need to suspend them. <laughs> I mean, they don't want to do it. Major League Baseball does not want to do that because they don't want to take away their big ticket items. But they've probably got, they probably have to make some punishment, and, and I, I don't know if they will. Um, but otherwise, what's the deterrent? Because at some point, you go. Well, they said they were going to crack down, and I've been, I've been good, but I'm not not perfect because I'm sure that they're still doing something, um, just making it less obvious. You know, if they're if they got their spin rate up to 2,700, they did something to get it down to like 2,580 <laughs> instead of 2,400, something like that. And, and I think that uh, eventually they're going, to, they're going to say, look, they're not doing anything. Why 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 should I worry about this? Then they'll just go back to the same issue they had before. So they've got to do something. Um, Like I said, I don't think they will, but they they need to. Yeah, I just don't get how baseball keeps finding themselves in these situations. I mean, I guess from a a basic level, I understand how. It's that they just sort of allow this, this sport to police itself. But when you do that, it results in things like this, where all of a sudden it goes from nothing to the biggest story in the league in a matter of weeks. And... I, 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 get, I get both sides of it. I get the I get what you're saying that you need to police it and, and make sure there are repercussions to keep guys from doing this anymore. But it I also wonder like what what's that look like? And I can imagine the backlash that it's going to get from pitchers who are going to say, "Wait a minute!" So you basically yeah. sort of winked and nodded and said this was okay for decades, and now you're suspending me and you know making my team objectively worse, taking me off the field. Like I get both sides of it. Yeah, I think what's happened, you, you go back to the steroid time, and I, I think that Major League Baseball looked the other way because steroids helped bring baseball back from the strike, right? I mean, it was the 98 home run chase was what most people say brought them back after that strike. And and at that point, they're like, well, look, we, we need it. So whatever, we'll look the other way. And then what's happened recently is hitters have become so home run happy that there were so many home runs and the offense was up and all that. And it was so hard to pitch that all of a sudden pitchers were doing a little bit better. And so they said, well, hey, pitchers are doing better, evening the game out. And then what ends up happening, inevitably, is it goes too far. <laughs> and it's, this is a season that it's reached its breaking point where it's gone too far, just like in the or mid-2000s, the steroids. I mean, it was, it was just too far. There were 12 to 10 games routinely. And that, that, that's how they get themselves in the situation. But you're right. I, I, don't, know, I don't know if they can... If the punishments they need to make are probably big enough that it deters people from doing it in the future, the problem is because what I don't know what percentage is doing it seventy percent, eighty percent. The good news from watching the Royals, I think you can have a good idea they're not doing it. So I hope there's, not. There's that. Well, hell, man, if they are, we got bigger issues we need to discuss. That, that's 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 a huge issue. <laughs> but um, you know if. if if seventy percent of the league is doing it, and you punish everybody who does it, who's who's left to pitch games? <laughs> I mean, so, so you get into a weird situation there. Um, and, and I think what Major League Baseball is hoping right now is their warning shot is enough to stop it, so they don't have to punish anybody. But it's not going to be. 
people are still going to do it. And it doesn't just stop on a dime either. I mean, these pitchers have been doing it for years, and all of a sudden you want them to just completely change the way the ball grips. There's going to be big issues from that. And so this is, this is heading toward something kind of ugly, I think. Um, in the interim, it's nice to see a little more offense. It's nice to see the bat on the ball a little bit more. But I, I just don't know how this is going to work because it, it, it's, a, it's, a messy, it's a sticky situation. What would the game look like if, if everything was just allowed? Is no, there's no steroid policy whatsoever. Take whatever you want. Barry Bonds with an aluminum bat. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you have to. I think we can maybe draw a line somewhere in the sand there. We'll have to find that that sweet spot. But I think you Barry can doctor Bonds it. Aluminum bat is the sweet spot. Okay, okay, there you go. That's the sweet spot. <laughs> okay, all the steroids you want, teams can supply it for all I care. And you can put whatever you want on the baseball. Whatever you want. I'm talking va- sunscreen, Vaseline, spider tag. Yeah, do whatever you want. What does that sport look like, David? Uh, not that different, probably, than what we've seen to start <laughs> the year. There's probably, um, let's see, 54 outs in the game, 51 outs in the game, let's say, if the home team's winning. Um, I would say probably like 38 strikeouts a game, 12 to 15 home runs a game. Um, a handful of doubles, maybe. I, I don't. I, I think that you eliminate the single, uh, except for the Royals, because that's all they hit. And and then you're, uh, you're you're basically just playing home run derby in between strikeouts. So not that different. Yeah, who loses? I mean, that sounds like a win-win. Not a lot of action. Um, but you, you know. So in that scenario, not- would the MV would the MVP be like? Like the Adam Dunn archetype, like you're gonna bat two thirty, but you're gonna hit fifty home runs. Like that's your new league MVP. Yeah, that's probably your best. I mean, you're still gonna have a guy like, gosh, you can put steroids in Mike Trout. I mean, first of all, he'll probably stay healthier, so he's gonna play more. <laughs> um, boy, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's a guy like maybe Fernando Tatis. I mean, it stays the same. If Tatis is just gonna hit five hundred twenty foot tanks instead of four seventy. <laughs> but he, the few times he gets on base, he's still going to steal some bases. So I, I, I think that the, the MVP kind of stays the same, um, but they just hit the ball farther now. Okay. I, look, I, I'm here for it. At least, you know what, maybe just do it developmentally. They're trying all these things out in the Atlantic League. I say yeah. inject every hitter with steroids, give every pitcher the spider tack or whatever it is, and just see what happens. Right. Like, at, at least it's an experiment, and if it doesn't work, then we say at least we tried. Like, yeah, exactly. you can say it was a and stupid look, a idea. Bunch guys, a bunch of guys built some muscle, so good for them. That's right, and that's always good. This it's good exercise. Yes, we're all <laughs> we're all trying to get in a better shape. All right, David Lesky uh, is with us here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the actual Royals. Jackson Coar. I don't think anybody would accuse him of being an innings eater through two games. But what is your assessment of this rookie pitcher? Well, I don't think that's fair of you to say. He's eaten two, which is innings. That's plural. Um, two starts. So I think, I think that you owe him an apology. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been bad. Um, I, his start on Monday night last week. I think you can chalk that up to he was eaten up by the moment. Like absolutely, the third deck got him. The Shohei Otani in the box got. I mean. 
all this stuff that is in the big leagues that is that you can't account for. You just can't account for in the minors. That absolutely got him. And it happens, okay? I was excited to see him on Saturday to come back because I thought, all right, the, the jitters are gone. Nope. He looked better. He looked less – I mean, he looked better from a nerve standpoint. He looked less um, like he was about to destroy his gum, but – he, he just had no command, no control. I, this is not something we saw from him in Omaha. And, and, and it's, it's concerning because when, you ha- when something happens that you haven't seen in the minors, the question is how do you fix it? And I don't know the answer. I don't know. I mean, your best bet, really, he needs to work it out in the big leagues. But he's been so bad that you can't do that, even though they haven't sent him down. So maybe, maybe he's going to pitch out of the bullpen for a, few ga- for, for a few days because they don't need a starter until the – 26, I think it is. Um, so maybe maybe that'll be the case. He'll give the, he'll get the innings when it's nine to one. Probably the opponent. The way things are going for the Royals, especially with Andrew Benintendi now hurt. But um, yeah, it's been it's been bad, and and it's not really easy to explain. It's not like oh well, you know what is his curveball didn't didn't do this blah blah. blah. No, nothing worked. Literally nothing worked. He can't locate. Because he can't locate, he can't get his changes to work. I mean, he, I, I really appreciated his answer on Saturday when he was saying, look, I can't get, I can't control my fastball down on the zone, which means I can't get swings and misses on my changeup down on the zone. So I have to bring my changeup up because hitters aren't swinging at it anyway. When, when you bring it up, they hit it. And, and it was, he, he understood exactly what was happening, which I appreciated, but it just, he couldn't get it under control. And that's, that's an issue. He's got to work on that. Well, when you look at the starting ro- rotation as a whole, I mean, how many guys do you point to right now, David, and say that you don't see any cause for concern? Um, I mean, the easy answer is zero because Miner and Keller have been the best for a little while, and they are still inconsistent. Um, but at the same time, when Miner and Keller take the mound, you probably you have a pretty good idea that they're going to find a way to get through at least five. Give up at most four or five, which should theoretically give you a shot. So they're not they're fine. I mean occasionally you're going to get the game like Miner had on Thursday. Occasionally you're going to get the game like he had um, the start before, two starts, whatever it was. But but all in all, he's pretty much always going to keep you in the game. Um, and the same with Keller, I think, at this point. They've, they've both been fine. So I guess I sort of trust those two. Um, but, you know, with any of them, Singer, Bubich, now Coar, who knows? And, you know, Bubich I thought was really interesting, too, because he seemed to have a really good idea of what was going wrong with him. And he's very analytical, and he's very pitching savvy. So I would not be surprised. It may not be next start, but he's, he's going to figure it out. I don't, I don't have any worries about him because he really understands himself. Singer I worry about, though. And he went out there on Friday. He wasn't a terrible start. He gave up three runs in six innings. He gave the Royals a chance to win, because they, and they tied it. They lost at the ninth inning. That's fine for Singer. Um, but after the game, he's going, I make great pitches. And I make good pitches. They just hit him. I mean, I put this in the newsletter this morning. The the double he gave up to, uh, oh, who was it? I can't remember. Matt, Matt Chapman, maybe. No, whoever it was. The first double he gave up was literally a slider right down the middle. <laughs> and he's going in there saying, oh, I made a good pitch. No, you did not make a good pitch. <laughs> it was right down the middle. And then the home, or the, yeah, the home run he gave up to Seth Brown was, it was on the inner third, but it was still in a spot. I was up. Seth Brown has like a 600 career slugging percentage on pitches in that spot. So no, that's also not a good pitch. I think it was Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman hit a good pitch. All right, I'll give him that. But 
you know, you listen to Coar and he's really breaking down what went wrong, and you go, okay, he gets it. He's he's struggling, but he gets it. Mm-hmm. And Chris Bubich goes out there, he goes, look, I did this and this and this. I, I need to do this, and that's great. He gets it. Then Singer comes out, I make good pitches. It's not my fault. And that worries me about him. That concerns me moving forward. That he he's not going to figure out how to put it all together. And the thing about Singer, he's fine. You know, he's he's right now. If he's your number four starter, your your rotation's fine. But the Royals need more from him. And and I'm I'm worried based on what we've seen that we're not going to find that from him anytime soon. You still got a ways before the trade deadline at the end of July. But what needs to happen between now and then? in order for the Royals to avoid simply throwing the towel in on the season? Well, it's, they, they got to start hitting. Um, the pitching has been a problem, but, I mean, they went they, they scored 56 runs in seven games that ended on that 14-run game against the Twins. And since then, they've scored like 20 runs or something like that. I don't know what the number is exactly, but there's not hitting. And it's, it's not getting any easier because now Ben Intendi's injured with the rib injury. Um, I mean, it's... You look at this lineup: four, five, and six is Dozier, or, uh, Soler, Dozier, and, and Kelvin Gutierrez right now. Which, I mean, you look—you you, want to think that Soler and Dozier in the middle is good. It should be, but they've just been so bad this year. And the lineup that went four deep is now going three deep with Ben Intendi out. They need Mondesi back. Hopefully, Ben Intendi can come back quickly. They've got a hit um, in the starters. They just basically have to do everything well. The bullpen's fine, so the bullpen can keep doing what they're doing. Wade Davis, if he pitches in a seven-run game, I don't care. It doesn't matter how many runs he gives up. Um, but they need—they really need to hit better at this point because they're teetering. They're 30 and 34, right? They've got three against the Tigers, three against the Red Sox at home. It's a tough homestand because the Tigers aren't good, but the Royals are in a really bad place. The Red Sox are good. And they get the Yankees and the Red Sox again. I mean, it's a tough go for a little while, and they're going to have to put some runs on the board if they want some wins, and I, it's, it's kind of hard to see how they will. If, if the worst-case scenario, if they do have to throw in the towel, do you expect them to move anybody at the deadline? If so, who would those candidates be? You know, I don't know who it would be. I think, I think they'll, be in, they'll, they'll look to move guys. I don't, I don't think it's, oh, we're not, we're not trading anybody, but you know, the, the best candidate is Jorge Soler. Who, yeah, what do you get for him right in, now? Right, but on top of that, the Minnesota Twins being terrible, they now have Nelson Cruz dangling out there. Who are you going to take, Cruz or Solaire? Come on, right, I mean, right. so of and there's and there's only thirteen other fourteen other teams who have a DH spot. So I mean, they're they're really limited in that. Um, I mean, I guess they could look to move Santana or Minor, um, and might you know, maybe one of the bullpen guys if they want to look to move them. But I don't I don't foresee that happening. Duffy is a possibility, I guess, if he comes back. But he hasn't pitched in a while, so who knows? I mean, they're in a position where they they don't have a lot of tradable parts on top of everything else. So it's it's not great right now. But on the bright side, look, they're thirty and thirty four with all of this going wrong. So it it could be a lot worse, um, and it might get a lot worse. But at this point, it could be a lot worse for them. So I. I, I don't know. I, I think most likely they're, they might make a small trade, but I don't think you're going to see a lot of action from the Royals next month. He is David Lesky. You can check out his work, RoyalsReview.com. Subscribe to his Substack Inside the Crown. David, appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you. Definitely. Thanks, Nick. All righty. That is David Lesky. Blue Dream on Twitter has chimed in. He said, I am so overhearing about the Royals this summer. They are trash once again. Thank you for the contribution, Blue Dream. Coming up next, we will talk about cricket. 
because that's the only other thing going on right now. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. So many important things happened over the weekend in the world of sports, but there were also some other things that happened. And just because they're not as important don't mean that they're not worth our time. We'll decide right now whether they're worth your time and our time in a segment that we like to call Do We Give a Bleep? And yes, I guess the irony in that is that we are taking time to talk about them to decide if they're worth garnering more time. Derek, what's first? First up, Le'Veon Bell was criticizing Andy Reid over the weekend on social media. So he criticized Andy Reid, then apologized, but also wanted to clarify that he still stands by his original comments. So really sitting the fence there. This all started on where all good, you know, conversations start, where all good debates happen. The comments section of an Instagram post. And the Instagram post was actually about a $700 McDonald's order. So this is just one of those meme Instagram accounts that just posts, can you believe somebody really did this? And that's what this was. Can you believe somebody really spent $700 at McDonald's? To which Le'Veon Bell had to respond and said, they snapped, LOL. So like that part to me is maybe the underrated aspect of this where Le'Veon Bell could be doing anything with his time, but like he saw this Instagram post that most of us would scroll past and he was just like, wow, I gotta I gotta throw my two cents in there. But since he's Le'Veon Bell, when you comment on something like that, everybody notices that you comment and then immediately people start talking about how bad you suck. Right? All he wants to do is get in on this social conversation and everyone's like, you're washed, bro. You suck. We saw you for the Chiefs. You should have stuck with the Steelers. You ass, bro. And so that got Le'Veon Bell a little fired up. Rather useless back and forth ensued. But the interesting nugget was that when Bell said he'd never play for Andy Reid again, he said he would retire before he played for Andy Reid again. Then... After Chiefs fans were like, what the hell, man? Andy Reid's great. Don't say that. Le'Veon Bell, the next day, this was yesterday afternoon, decided to take time to clarify his comments in which he said, I said what I said. I don't regret at all what I said. For those who have a personal problem with me because of what I said, that's fine. You have your right. Just to understand, I also have my right for how I feel about my personal problem with dude because of what he said to me. Never did I say I didn't enjoy my time in Kansas City because I love my time there. It was probably the closest locker room full of players I've ever been around. I enjoyed my teammates, the city, the food, the fans, just about everything in Kansas City. I'm not about to get all in depth on why I feel the way I do, but I have my right to feel the way I feel. The only thing I would change is commenting how I really felt on social media. I'll admit that's something I could have and should have kept to myself and I apologize about that but I don't regret what I said because that's how I feel okay not really apologizing but also apologizing not that I mean he can have his opinion he doesn't have to actually apologize it's the classic I'm sorry if I offended you yeah yeah exactly I'm sorry you're offended Uh by what I said okay so I'm just gonna say this now I give zero bleeps about this thing the Le'Veon Bell thing I do give a bleep about the $700 McDonald's there we go I'm kind of with you on this. So I don't care about that. That happens all the time. That story will be gone in a while. But get a load of this $700 McDonald's order. 
This is posted. It's the an Instagram account just called Rap. Just Rap. Okay. And it, the caption says, and this is a typical, this, these sorts of Instagram posts and the caption are what make my skin curl, but also now I'm interested. Someone spent over $700 at hashtag McDonald's. Mind blown emoji. What do you think about this? Thinking emoji. It's just like, clearly, let's just have a conversation. And it worked because they got Le'Veon Bell to get into an argument in their comment section. But here's the order. Um, 84, this is the big order, this is the big part. This, honestly, this is $620 of the 700 total. 84 double quarter bacon and cheeses. What was this for? I don't know. 84 double quarter bacon cheeseburgers, that's $620. So get this though. They get $33 or 33 senior sprites. You know? 33 senior sprites. So they're they're not they don't care about the money they're spending as they're evidenced by the 84 double quarter, but they're not gonna not get the senior discount on those sprites. <laughs> so but the only 33 of those, four medium high C's, one medium diet coke. One senior Coke, two medium diet Dr. Peppers, one just regular cheeseburger. Just one. They got the 84 double bacon cheeseburgers, but just one regular cheeseburger, one medium Sprite, one quarter deluxe, quarter cheese deluxe sandwich, whatever that is, and then one small decaf coffee. So the drink to sandwich ratio is all out of whack here. Yeah. So there's clearly a lot of people who... Wanted a sandwich, but weren't willing to splurge for the drink. Or the guy said, "I got seven hundred dollars. You're not all getting drinks." Gosh, we'll I, let the seniors. We'll let the senior citizens get drinks first, and whatever cash I have left. You know, it'd be funny. Have you ever like been in the drive-through or like behind somebody in the drive-through, and they're like, "Well, we'll just pay separately for separate different orders because they have multiple people in the car." Yeah. They did that with eighty-four people. We're like, we're all going to pay separately. We're I all mean, on yeah, I imagine this is a school bus. This is a school bus Why pulling through the drive-thru. I was thinking it was for like a, a retirement, uh, retirement home. home. Yeah. Field trip? And they're, well, no, they can't go out because of COVID. And so one of the people was like, hey, why don't I treat you guys to McDonald's? Give me your orders. I mean, imagine being the worker there. Is this in the drive-thru or like at the front of like the inside of the store? No, this is the drive-thru. That is, no, that is, that is malpractice. That person who went through the drive-thru to place this order should be arrested. Really? Why? They, they, can Think you even go inside? you were the car behind them, yeah? Think about if you were the car behind them, Nick. The kitchen's still got to make the food either way. Your your order is going to take a while, no matter what. Oh, now it's going to take a lot of a while. I mean, uh, is that a, is that a thing? Is that an unwritten rule? If you have big orders, you need to go inside. I don't know if it's an unwritten thing, but if it's if it's eighty four, it's going to take a long time, Nick, to do eighty four. The the point of the drive through is to drive fastly through the the fast food yeah. place. So you get out quickly. If you want to be in there for a longer time, you have a giant order. Do everybody else the courtesy and go inside. So I do give a bleep about this. Very much bleep. I do I do like that somebody pointed out that the senior Coke, the one senior Coke, got rung up for free. Uh-oh. But no, you get I think you get free drinks if you're a senior. Oh. But the sprites were not free. Hmm. So hmm. he says he got a free senior Coke. What a steal. The next post says. Was this really worthy of a post? I think so. <laughs> You're a jerk. Get off the internet if you don't like things that are being posted to the internet. I do give a bleep about that. Don't give a bleep about the Le'Veon Bell drama. 
You have to be, you have to have a certain level of production for me to care about what you say. Like, you can't start drama if you didn't rush for at least 700 yards last year. Mm-hmm. How about that? That's the threshold. Yeah. Like, if, uh, let's say, I don't know, Tyreek Hill, who's a free agent, I think, after next year, if he ends up leaving in free agency and he's like, yeah, something up with this, then it's like, oh, that's, that's going to catch my interest. But yeah, no, I don't really care. It just seems like sour grapes coming from Le'Veon Bell. Okay. Can I just say I was right about that, by about... the way? The fact that he wasn't going to be any good in Kansas City. Congrats. I'm not, I mean, I'm not looking for a parade, but a little bit of acknowledgement wouldn't kill you. Okay. Well, congratulations, I guess. You, you don't have to say it sarcastically either. Okay, then I don't really care. I give no bleeps about okay, giving you cool. congratulations. Uh, baseball released a statement last week that they're looking into foreign substances. The punishments were coming soon. Coincidentally, we saw hitting go up. We saw spin rates for certain pitchers go down. Do you give a bleep? I mean, yeah, you kind of have to, right? This is what you would expect to happen. The MLB no, says... No, gun to your head. You don't have to give a bleep. You don't have to, but if you're a pitcher, you had to know this is your opportunity to get out and avoid any repercussions. Because if you keep using whatever foreign substances you're using, if you keep using this sticky spider tack stuff, uh, you're going to get caught, and then you're going to get in trouble. So it's not a coincidence that hitting is up over baseball. Like, there may be individual. Like, if some guy, if there's some player right now who is ice cold, like Jorge Soler, if he goes on a tear over the next week, are we going to attribute it to the spin rate? Are we going to say, that's it? No. He was... He was fine. He was fine. It was just the stat. It was the spider tack. No, because here's the other thing. This happens to be coinciding during the hotter days of the season. And what we know with baseball is that the warmer weather also correlates with better hitting. It just has something to do with the air, the density, being able to hit it further. So the warmer it gets, the better they're going to be able to hit. So it might be a little bit of... I don't know, maybe correlation versus causation, but mm-hmm. I, I do think looking at like some of the spin rates of some of the pitchers is definitely interesting. Let's, l- let's look at it, though. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of really good pitchers who are on there who have seen drops. Trevor Bauer? Yep. Leader in spin rate? Had got rocked against the Rangers on Saturday. Corbin Burns? Has a, a cutting fastball that is one of the highest spin rates in baseball. We... Yeah, you. Some people call it cutter. Some people call it cutting fastball. I'm more of a traditionalist. Um, he gave up seven base runners over four innings against Pittsburgh. Coincidence? Just base runners, not runs. That matters. Okay. It matters. See, but this is what I don't want to happen. I don't want there to be nitpicking. Like, oh, I'm Garrett not nitpicking. Cole, I'm just giving you stats. Garrett Cole's ERA went up from 2.2 to 2.25 after that last start. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I. I don't mm-hmm. want to look at that. Like if, but like there were big uh, differences in. I saw Shane Bieber in his spin rates, like three hundred between some of his pitches, which is a giant jump. Same with Trevor Bauer. So if that happens, then I'm interested. But I'm not interested, and in it. it's just like, oh, he sucks now. Like wouldn't that's it, why? Wouldn't it be awful to be a pitcher who's been using foreign substances and you still have been <laughs> terrible this year? You're like, fuck. Now I'm screwed. Glad you caught yourself there. Like if I'm, if I'm, I don't know. Your Brady Singer, mm-hmm. you're like I've been using Spider Tack, it's just not working. I'm like, well, now you can't use that. Yeah. Like, well, now what's gonna happen? Because there are guys like that, by the way. Not every pitcher's having a great season. Just legalize it all. You know, we don't have to worry about it. It's 
spider tax, steroids, ultra bang. You just want guys pouring Andro into their cereal bowls in the morning. <laughs> Who wins? You know, roided out hitter or spider grip to the max pitcher? I would think the spider tack pitcher would have the advantage, right? Because the, the pitcher already has the advantage. Yes, I mean if you're if you're talking from a percentage play. Well, because if you're the talking, thing, the hitter you just can't hit a home go, run if you can't hit the ball. No, but the hitter just has to go one for three at the home run and he wins. You know, he doesn't have to go two for. Three. Would you like that baseball? Because even in the in the steroid era, mm-hmm. Bonds and Sosa, they, they weren't batting two thirty. No. So would you like that where every like all of our best hitters are Adam Dunn now? <laughs> They're batting two forty and right. hitting fifty bombs. home runs. That's the only hit. I mean, we complained about like that's MVP. That's all baseball is MVP right now anyway. Now. It's strikeouts and home runs, but that would not even pale in comparison to what that would be. I don't know. I probably wouldn't like that, but it'd be kind of fun to watch. Let's like, just like one like year. seriously, somebody would go bat two thirty six with fifty eight homers yeah. and they'd be the MVP. No, fifty eight wouldn't be enough. Like, <laughs> right. He's like he was seventh in his division in home runs. By the right way, here. I'm looking at like Barry Bonds' career batting average of 298. I know that's not shocking to anybody. Yes, he was quite good, but that's the whole thing with spin rate is if you just allowed everybody to do whatever they wanted, there's no way anybody would have a a batting 300 season with 40 home runs. Yeah, probably not. Maybe we don't need those anymore. It'll be the chase for 300 instead of the chase for 400. The pitchers were using steroids, too. So that, you know. In hindsight, are we sure that pitchers using steroids was the most useful way to cheat? Honestly. I don't know. Roger Clemens was pretty good. Yeah, but was that more about enhancing his stuff or prolonging his career? That's a great question. I have no idea. Probably the prolonged. I mean, well, he won a bunch of Cy injuries, yeah. But like, I think of like I think of Clayton Kershaw, and who knows? Maybe Clayton Kershaw is the mm. biggest cheater in the world. Maybe he is putting mm. Andrew in his cereal every morning. <laughs> but you view him in his current form, and then view him on steroids, and think like, wow, he'd be, imagine what he could do. Or do you just think like it doesn't really? I don't really see it, other than. Maybe he pitches till he's 42. Is it, didn't Clemens? Yeah, he was in his 40s, I thought. Clemens won a Cy Young at 41. Holy cow. And then he finished third the next year at 42 with a 187 ERA. It's the same thing with Bartolo Colon. <laughs> it's like, did Bartolo Colon just happen to figure it all out in his 40s? Like, did he just happen to start, you know, finding his groove at the end of his career? Or maybe were there some foreign substances... Uh, not being put on the baseball, but being put inside his body. Mm. Or both. Who knows? Probably. Probably. Yeah, yeah. probably. Uh, Madden announced their cover athlete for 2022. Sort of. There was a teaser trailer and also like a photo that they tweeted out. And it's basically just a picture of two like goats. Just the animal. The goats. Do you give a bleep? One looks to be bigger and older than the other. Oh, you're really reading in the, in between the lines there. Well, I'm, I'm serious. One looks to be a big goat, and the other looks to be a, a baby goat. Okay. Who was on it last year? Lamar Jackson? Uh, yes. yes. And then year before is Mahomes. So you can't... Because I was just about to say, what if they did Brady and Mahomes? Well, if they just Brady's put Mahomes... been on it, too, though. I think Brady but, was the year before. Would they really just put both of them on? 
Okay, if you watch the video, the guy there's like a guy on the phone at the end, and he's like, he says the word Peyton. So I wonder if one of them's Peyton Manning. And Archie? You really is Archie Manning a goat? That's what I want him to do. I want him to put guys who aren't Peyton even in the league Eli. yet. Eli's not a goat. No, you put Peyton and Archie, or you put Archie and Archie. I'm, oh, t- no, I'm talking Arch. about Arch. 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 Get it right. So yeah, put Archie yeah. and Arch. There we go. I'm good with that. Put Cooper. Cooper. Cooper and Arch. <laughs> yeah, put guys that aren't even in football on there. Like put, I don't know, Chris Paul <laughs> and Drake. Yeah. Well, they like, I don't know. Have you played any of the Maddens recently? There's like game Not modes. Really. There's game modes you can do where you're like playing online with people and they have like, Migos people, they have like DJ Khalid is in the game as like a quarterback. DJ Khalid? Have you never literally Khalid, heard whatever. his name been said? Uh, but like before? Quavo, you can play as like a receiver. It's like they, they, they've kind of explored into this world of like non football players. DJ Khalid. <laughs> have you never heard his name uttered uh, like verbally? He goes, DJ Khalid. DJ Khalid. You've never heard it. Now, now I know you haven't, even though he's got a million songs. Um, my guess is it is Brady and I don't know. Brady and Mahomes, I guess. Two goats. Young goat. Old goat. Young goat. I think we're overthinking it. I don't, I'm not going to, like, I think you're overthinking looking at what the actual goats, like an old goat. I, I think they're just goats. I think it's just two goats. One's significantly bigger than the other. Okay, maybe one's... What if they're tight ends? Gronk, Kelsey. Gronk and baby Gronk. Uh-huh. Eh. I hope it's an offensive lineman, actually. <laughs> I don't even know who you'd go to. Ron, uh, Staley? Ronald Staley? Is that a name? Is that a... Ronnie Stanley? Jo- Joe Staley? Joe Staley? Yeah, I think yeah. he's retired. Uh, Orlando Pace? He could be the old one. Yeah, Willie Rolfe. There we go. Okay. Got it. Okay, cool. I care, you by the it. way. Yeah, I give a belief. Uh, a petition is going around to get Jeff Bezos one. to buy and eat the Mona Lisa. Mm. You give a belief. Are they going to pay him to do it? Uh, wait, how does he have access to the Mona Lisa? You can't well, just... Would, no, to buy it. You'd have to buy it first. How much would you buy it for? Lots of money. The The petition says nobody has eaten the Mona Lisa, and we feel <laughs> Jeff Bezos needs to take a stand and make this happen. Uh, gobble the Lisa, one writer joked. I feel like this is something society needs. Jeff, we need you to make this sacrifice for society. <laughs> um, he's got $200 billion, so he could probably do it. I mean, he just bought a $500 million yacht. Yeah, how much would the Mona Lisa go for? A billion? Um, the idea has, has popped up because France owns it. So they could sell it. They're in debt. Every country's in debt. So they've thought about selling it to get themselves out of debt. French tech CEO Stephanie Distinguin said last year the government could sell it for a whopping $60.9 billion to help get the country through the pandemic. So even Bezos is like, dude, I can't spend that. I mean, he invests so much money in so many different things. I think he's investing a billion dollars a year into Blue Origin, his space company. But the idea that he's going to buy the Mona Lisa... Just a, a, it. a $60 billion. But what if it, like, cured cancer if he did this? And then everybody was thought, like, that's such a selfless thing. And, like, we asked him to do something, and he did it. And then all of a sudden, everyone just mm-hmm. donates all their money to cancer research. Wow. You didn't think about that, did you? That'd be cool. Yeah. What if it turns him into, like, a superhero? 
It'd probably just make him incredibly sick. That's what that is saying. so much paper. And it's old. I mean, do you remember? It's probably uh, not even paper. What is it? Parchment? Yeah, I don't know. What if he brought it when he goes up to the moon? Brings it up to the moon, and now there's an attraction on the moon. You can go up to the moon to see the Mona Lisa. But the, the Mona Lisa. But I guess he has to eat it. The Mona Lisa is already on this planet, and I still haven't seen it. Do and you now you're going to take it farther away? This might be a little bit of a vile question, but like, if Jeff Bezos eats the Mona Lisa, um, when he goes to the bathroom, like, if somebody saved that trip to the bathroom, mm-hmm. like, could they get money for that? Okay. okay. I'm just asking because it would be filled with Mona Lisa. I don't. Got it. Just saying. Yeah, it'd be the most expensive BM this planet's ever seen. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. That's Do We Give a Bleep. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. College basketball insider John Rothstein of CBS Sports had a really interesting tweet over the weekend. It said the number of players who have entered the transfer the portal this year, 1,663. Of that 1,663 players who have entered the portal, 580 of them still have yet to find a new school. That's 35%. So 35% of players who have entered the transfer portal still don't have a school. It's June 14th. Uh, There are still NBA draft decisions to be made. Once that happens, coaches are going to have a better idea of how many scholarships they have to give up. And even more so than that, the decisions that surprise coaches are going to leave them scrambling. We know that's going to happen. That's what coaches don't like, is the idea that they're going to have to scramble late in the game. What this tells me, though, is maybe coaches have a little bit less foundation to stand on, knowing that don't act like it's going to be all that bad because there are a ton of kids still out there. The question becomes then, are these kids in the portal because they weren't playing at their old school? Or are they in the portal because they just haven't found a spot? Because if it's the former, maybe there is the idea that nobody wants them, right? You are a stray puppy and nobody wants to take you in. And if you think about it in those terms, it really makes the the portal idea, which at first seemed like it was giving the ultimate freedom to kids and it was great and it was super player friendly. Now it maybe doesn't feel all that friendly knowing that there's a lot of kids out there who are still looking for homes. Yeah, well, I I don't think they ever advertised the portal to say, you know, it's friendly. It's almost as if just like give these kids the opportunity to make a decision for themselves. Now, what they didn't say, and you're kind of alluding to, is the idea that, you know, sometimes when you make decisions, and this is a lesson to be learned as an adult, which I guess if you're, you know, if you're 18 to 22 years old, you are an adult in college. It's a good opportunity to learn a lesson. And for some of these kids, it might be a lesson that, uh-oh, I was at a D1 school. I said I'm going to enter the transfer portal. Now my school I was at filled up my scholarship because they thought I was gone. I can't go back. Now i got to go down to D2. That's going to happen. Yeah. Now, I mean, not all 580 of them are going to go to D2. No. Like, I would say, I would still think. But some might end up at worse schools than they were at currently in D1. The guy who was maybe at a mid-major and, and said, I want to take a step up to the next level, and then nobody at yeah. the Power 5 level wants to take a shot at And then you're at a mid-major in your same conference you were just at, who's worse? For sure. I think a lot of these kids wisely understand that it is about fit, that if you have something to offer, like in the case of Jalen Coleman-Lance, think about him. He went from Illinois to DePaul, got injured, had to sit out, redshirt, then grad transferred to Iowa State last year and now gets to use the one extra year of eligibility 
to transfer to Kansas. On the surface, if I said, hey, there's this 25-year-old kid who's went to Illinois, DePaul, and Iowa State, he's got an injury history, and he's only got one year of eligibility, like I could, I can describe him in a way that doesn't make him sound very attractive. But guess what? He's a 40% three-point shooter. All of a sudden, boom, antenna goes up. A lot of teams are going to want that, right? He probably had a relatively easy experience in the transfer portal. Tristan Inaruna, the same way, right? You kind of we, we joked about that being a trade. You traded Inaruna for Jalen Coleman-Lands. Inaruna didn't play a ton at Kansas, but it's Kansas. You hit the open market, and how would you describe him? Long, lanky, raw athlete, plays with a lot of energy, six foot eight. You can do a lot of different things with him. A school like Iowa State probably would love to have a guy like that. There's a lot of players in between raw, young athlete and seasoned veteran with a knockdown jump shot. There's a lot of, like, I was thinking about this. When all of these additions were made and and Cam Martin commits and you get uh, Zach Clements coming in as a big guy, I sort of wondered... What would happen if Mitch Lightfoot entered the portal? Because Mitch, I don't think, is going to play next year. Like He's coming back for his sixth, seventh season. What I don't know. He's 24. He's coming back next year. I don't, I don't think he's even going to like play sparingly. Like, like I think it'll be mop-up duty. But I don't, I don't see him as being a part of the rotation. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Cam Martin's going to stink. Maybe Zach Clements is going to be too raw. I just I don't know where the minutes are coming from for him. If he were to transfer, what types of schools would be interested in a Mitch Lightfoot? Um, let's just uh, let's stick in the Big Twelve for a second. Texas Tech. Texas Tech's not going to be bad this year. Yeah, maybe. I was going to go down to like the the bottom. The but think bottom about it. But think part. about. Okay, remember, remember why he would transfer. Right. He's not transferring to just to go planes. be on another team. Right. He would transfer because he wants to play, because he thinks he's good. Would he he's start with Iowa State? I mean, Inaruda might start for Iowa State. Yeah, so maybe. Depends what you're looking for, right? Kansas State. K-State's going to be pretty lousy. Uh, I mean, Iowa State's probably the worst team in the conference. Yeah. K-State's right there. Mm-hmm. What kind of numbers could Mitch put up, now that we're getting away from the topic, what kind of numbers could Mitch put up if you started and said, you are our focal point? We run the offense through life. On Kansas. No, no. Just on a team in general? Yeah, I think it's more fascinating to think about it on a bad team. Uh, Nobody's still in Stony Brook. I mean, I I think Iowa State would be good enough. Okay, you want to do Iowa State? Um, Could, could, Could Mitch be a 12 and 10 guy? That's tough getting ten rebounds. I mean, Landon Lucas led the Big but he said, Twelve we're playing, in rebounding. We're playing you twenty eight minutes a game. No, but Landon Lucas led the Big Twelve in rebounding one year with like eight and a half. So no, I'm not picking the ten rebounds. But you know, if he gets, if you're the focal point of the offense, that could be ten to fifteen shots a night, right? He's giving you fifteen points. You think he's making half his shots? I do. I don't. You don't? I don't know against Big Twelve big guys. I think we think about who's he's going to be going up against night in night out. Mm. Is Derek Culver coming back? Do we know about that yet? No, we don't. I don't believe so, though. That's just your hunch? 
No, that's just like what. When you're going up against you know, a lot of people. David McCormick, you're going up against Tanner Groves. Uh, you're going up against I'm not Christian saying it's Bishop. Be better than those guys, but uh, like Chum Wachachua. Okay, go, but go look at like Iowa State's player stats, and I don't need you to actually look at them. But somebody has to do something, right? Like Iowa State could be the worst team in Big Twelve history. They're still going to average sixty points per game at minimum, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody has to score those sixty points, and if you're a starting five man on the team who's getting a majority of the shots. Yeah. He's going to average like 15 a game in that situation. Mm. It might not be an efficient 15. You might no. not walk away with no, it. No, I don't, we yeah, don't care yeah, about efficiency yeah. in this scenario. No, then yeah, 15 a game. I don't know. I feel bad for some of these kids, honestly. I mean, I do and I don't. You made the decision. Now you've got to live with it. But also, I don't think a lot of these kids knew what they were getting into. I'm sure they thought, hey, look at me. I'm pretty good. I'm going to hit the open market. Other teams are going to have roster spots to fill. But the problem is those other teams may have filled them with players who they think are better fits. Or they fill in with freshmen and they say, if we're going to start over and suck next year, I'd rather have guys that are going to be coming in fresh, don't have this other system that I'm going to have to sort of beat away from them. I can just take them raw, mold them into the type of players I want them to be. That's what I think a lot of teams are doing. The inverse of that is Kansas. We don't have to do that, right? When you're Kansas, you can say, well, we don't have to go do it with freshmen. I'm going to go get the best players. I'm going to go get the best fits. The guys who I can plug in and play like Remy Martin and Joe Yesifu and Cam Martin. They fit the exact need that we need as a team, I don't need to go and pluck this dude who maybe wasn't playing all that much. Think about the guys they went and got. Everybody they got from the transfer portal were guys who were killing it at their last spot. Remy Martin, all-conference player. I mean, Cam Martin, yes, D2, but like the best. D- if you're going to get a D2 player, you know you want to get the guy who's an All-American every year. By the way, that was my first realization that KU has two Martins on the team. Yeah, that's Are right. Cam and Remy. Don't think so. No. We should ask him about it, though. And then Joe Yesifu. Yeah, he didn't kill it all season, but the second that he was handed the reins to that team, in the last month of the year, he's one of the best players in the country. So everybody who KU went and got from the transfer portal was a guy who you expect to make an immediate impact. They didn't go out and get anyone who you go, we'll see, Jalen Coleman lands. You don't expect him to be a starter or one of your top players. But he fills a very specific need. He is going to come in and be a knockdown shooter. He's a 40% three-point shooter. And he's going to play on the best, most talented team he's ever had with more playmaking guards than he's ever had. And if Ochai goes, then that's even more of a boon for him because he fills now even a bigger need to come in and be a knockdown shooter. They didn't go out and get anybody from the portal that's like, oh, you may have to sit for a year. Oh, we'll see. You know, you're going to be in constant competition. We'll see what your role's like. Everyone they got from the transfer portal is going to play. Everyone. Not every team has that luxury. And for anybody who was at a smaller school who was like, you know what, Kansas would be a great place to go. Well, I'm sure they thought about it, and Kansas would be great, or Duke would be great, or Kentucky. Did Duke get anybody, anyone from the transfer portal? I didn't hear them linked to anybody from at least the transfer market. And maybe that's just because of how they want to do things, or maybe it's more difficult to get transfers to Duke. I have no idea, but 580 guys, 580, and it's June 14th. And you may, It may seem like there's a lot of time left, which there is. I'm sure that number will fall significantly by July 7th when the NBA withdrawal deadline hits, but it's not going to fall to zero. Yeah, that's the problem. Think about that. That's pretty much every team would have to take on two more transfers. And think about that with the NBA deadline, too. You're going to have guys coming back. So now there's going to be teams with less scholarships to fill if their player comes back. Yeah. I mean, 
John Calipari made a comment earlier this week that said that rarely do they ever fill all 13 scholarships. That's never the the philosophy with with Bill Self, but there's going to be a lot of teams. There's going to be a lot of teams with empty scholarships, and there's going to be a lot of guys with nowhere to go, and you're going to kind of look around and say, wait a minute, this math doesn't add up, but that's what happens when you institute this massive policy and all of a sudden everybody at the same time trying to figure out exactly how it works. U.S. Open starts this week at Torrey Pines, and it sure would be a shame if the USGA decided to pair Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau together for the first two rounds. As we know, first two rounds of tournaments, specifically majors, in this case the USGA who's in charge of the US Open, they try to give you pairings that you want to watch because those are going to be the featured pairings. If you put the good players together, those are the ones that TV broadcasts are going to want to gravitate towards. That's going to be the feature group. You're going to be able to watch every shot of that group. Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka are two of the best golfers in the world. Bryson DeChambeau won this event last year. Brooks Kepka has two U.S. Opens under his belt. They don't seem to like each other very much. They're also going to be two of the betting favorites going into this event. The USGA has notoriously, and the PGA Tour, have shied away from anything even remotely resembling controversy because they're the one sport who doesn't like rivalries. Right, It's all about the individual player and their quest to compete against the legends or to compete against the course. But they don't like it when players criticize other players. They don't like it when players criticize anything. The course, officiating other players, regardless of what it may be. For the first time in my lifetime, we've got a real sort of bubbling rivalry between two of the game's biggest stars. And it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if the USGA and the PGA tried to hide it and shove it into a corner and they let's put Brooks all the way over here and let's put Bryson all the way over here. Eventually, these guys are going to be paired together, whether you do it or not. It'll be dictated by the fact that they're both going to play well in the same tournament. It'd be great to see it on Sunday, but that'll be dependent upon how they play. But from a fan perspective, this is the first opportunity you've had since Tiger Woods, really, to get casual sports fans to actually care about golf in a way that they haven't because most casual sports fans aren't golf fans, but they do turn in for the majors or maybe they'll tune in for Sunday just to see who wins it. If there's a big name on the leaderboard, this is an opportunity to build something that's already started naturally. It would be a shame if the USGA tried to shy away from that because you've got a golden opportunity to market something here. I would love to see it. I mean, like it organically, I would think will happen at some point. Both of them are good enough that, They'll be at the top or like third and fourth together or something that it will happen eventually. But who knows? That could be at like some small tournament, which maybe that's what they need, honestly, because people are going to watch the U.S. Open regardless. Maybe it's better off at a small tournament. I, I just don't understand. Like, you know what they should do? They should have one golf tournament a year where like the fans get to vote who gets paired with each other or something. I think that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. That would be incredible. And they sort of give you that stuff at the players, like they call it the players, so they give you just the, these the best possible lineups. But why that is a, as a treat as opposed to something that you do regularly makes no sense. Wouldn't you, too, if you're Bryson and uh, Brooks, wouldn't you want to? Yes, because everyone's going to watch exactly. you. Exactly. And now that they have that new rule where it's like if you're top 10 in popularity, yeah. you get extra money at the end of the year. I would think both of them would be like, yes, let's do well, it. Well, think about this. That video that sparked all this, right, from... Uh, the PGA Championship when Brooks is sitting there 
and Bryson with his metal spikes is walking behind him and Brooks rolls his eye and that kind of started this whole thing. That video got 10 million views and the PGA Tour responded by having it taken down. (laughs) What other sport does that? What other sport finds something that says, whoa, this is way more popular than anything else we put out? We better scrub it from the internet. Maybe baseball sometimes with Rob yeah. Manfred. Yeah, I guess that, but that's that's even predates yeah. Rob Manfred. But imagine if other sports did that. Imagine if other sports shied away from their bigger storylines, shied away from rivalries. It doesn't make any sense. And if the PGA wants to be different, that's fine. But it will come at the cost of growing your sport, which they always talk about. They always talk about wanting to grow the game, wanting to reach a younger audience, because that's the thing, man. When golf does do numbers, like television numbers, it's not a youthful audience. It's not the same people who are helping television ratings for NBA games or for NFL games. It's a much, much older demographic, which is fine. But eventually, if you want to grow the game like you say you do, you got to reach a younger audience. And this this sort of made-for-social-media-type interaction... This is what's going to grow your audience. How many people would make an appointment viewing to say, because like if, whether it's like a bar stool thing, like that's how people find out about Brooks Kepka, so they're only going to watch to watch him, and now they they find out about Bryson. So whether you love him or you hate him, you're going to tune in on Thursday if you find out they're playing together. Oh, I want to see what happens. Are they going to fight? Are they going to squabble? Is there going to be arguments? Are they going to be mic'd up? Like that sort of stuff would kill it on a Thursday when most people are not watching golf. I'm not joking. I would pay extra if you gave me a group of Bryson and uh, and Brooks Kepka mic'd up for a full day. If you were like $5 for this for a full day of them, $10, I'd be like, yes, sign me up. It'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. And here's the reality, dude, and this is, why the, this is why the USGA would be stupid not to do it. Because the reality is they'll play together for two days and there will be nothing interesting Correct. that happens. They will not argue. You know why? Because once mm-hmm. they're on the course... They're just going to be playing. And neither one of those guys are going to go out of their way to be distracted just to get attention. Once they get on the course, they're not going to do anything. So the risk involved here from the USGA is minimal. Like, what's the worst? They're not going to get into a fight. No, They're not going to argue. They're going to play golf. If they did, it'd be great for ratings. That'd be great as well. Yeah. But of course, the PGA would then probably like suspend each. Like, I don't know. They may just kick him off the tour for good. Because you imagine- you're gonna kick him off the tour, Doug. <laughs> That's what would happen if they if they fight if they just got into a shoving match on like the seventh green. Step to my line, bro. You know what would happen? PGA and USGA would probably kick them both out of the tournament, as opposed to just being like, "Well, that happened." Because guess what? If it happened on Thursday, imagine what your viewership's gonna be like on Friday. I would be going out of my way to instigate fights. I would plant somebody like the guy from Happy Gilmore. Like, right? You will not make this putt, you jackass. Get that guy out there to instigate a fight. You want viewers. (laughs) It's not that hard. I'm, I'm, I'm doing your job for you now. All right, that starts on Thursday, the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. We will do a, an actual U.S. Open preview. Our friend Jeff Feinberg from DraftKings and OddsChecker.com is going to join the show uh, coming up, I think, on Wednesday. Uh, but I'll give you an official time once we find out more. So that'll be fun coming up later this week. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk.